Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Potting Dirty, the bloggingdirty.com Atlanta Falcons podcast. My name is Harrison Naylor. I'm joined today by Adnan Ikic, Kevin Knight and Tyler Back. The four of us are staff writers at Fansided's bloggingdirty.com, a place for Falcons news, analysis and opinions. So please check that out if you haven't already. We can also be found on Twitter at bloggingdirty. I myself can be found at HarrisonN17, Kevin at KevinKnightATL, Tyler at TylerRBack, and Adnan at A underscore Spaha underscore Ikich. That's S-P-A-H-A underscore Ikich, I-K-I-C. Please feel free to contact any of us via the website or via social media if you have any questions or comments for the podcast, and we'll endeavour to answer your questions in our next episode. We've picked a very busy time of year to release our debut episode, with the NFL Draft just two days away. With that in mind, let's not waste any time and jump right in. Kevin, I'll go to you first. Over the past week or so, you've been documenting a full seven-round mock draft from the staff writers at Blogging Dirty. What's the biggest trend you've seen develop so far in looking at the various mock submissions, and what can fans expect out of Atlanta in the draft period? Yeah, well, the first thing that stood out right away is that there was pretty much universal uh, support for taking a pass rusher with uh, the first overall pick, which... um I feel like that's pretty much how every Falcons fan feels, uh, unless you want Todd Gurley, in which case, you know, I'm sorry. Um, But yeah, it was basically between Randy Gregory and Bud Dupree in round one, and they're both honestly good picks. Um, It just, but now with like even Shane Ray, um, with his new problem popping up, um, it's going to basically be between Randy Gregory and probably Bud Dupree, unless we trade up. Um, The rest of the draft was pretty much. Very little, uh, very little in the way of agreement between all the writers. Uh, we had a lot of people taking free safety and guard and inside linebacker in the first couple rounds. Um, running backs, tight ends, uh, secondary depth, all that. Um, so we had a lot of, of players in there that I feel like would be, would be good contributors. Um, as far as where the Falcons go with their first round pick... Um, I think they should go for, for Randy Gregory and Stan Pat at eight, but uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, stuff out there that they might trade up or do something like that. So, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest things we've seen is, especially in the offseason, maybe a lack of addressing the left guard. Uh, the move to zone blocking has informed how we're going to build our offensive line this year. Uh, can you guys see us going offensive guard maybe in the first pick, or we're going to wait second and third? Or are we still holding out for perhaps a free agent, somebody on the roster to emerge? What's the go there? Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that we won't go with a guard in the first round. Uh, I think we will definitely go with a pass rusher. We There have been talks about trading up, but we'll get to that later. I personally went with Randy Gregory in the first round, and I think that we'll go with the pass rusher later on. Second, third, fourth, Ali Marpet is a name. I selected Ali Quanjo in the fourth. But uh, it seems like a deep guard class this year, and I think we need to go pass rusher in the first round no matter what. And uh, I think that, you know, there's no real guards that are uh, worthy of getting picked eighth overall. Um, if they decided to trade back, perhaps. If they traded back into the 20s, you know, you might pick up somebody there. Um, but there, I think there are also some guys on the roster that could that could actually do pretty well. Um, you know, you look at 
I know a lot of people label him as a bust already, but you look at Peter Kahn's, for instance. I mean, he was a, a pretty good center in college, um, and they were in that in that zone blocking scheme at Wisconsin. Uh, so now that we're our offense under Kyle Shanahan is transferring to that zone blocking scheme, Peter Kahn's man actually have a chance to be a, a productive starter, and you know I think he'll get a chance at both the center and the guard positions if uh, if the Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn choose to give him that chance. Yeah, we'll discuss yeah, th- the possibility of trades uh, coming up, but just essentially to be clear, we're, if we do stand at eight, everybody's got us taking pass rush, correct? There's no way, not even cornerback or somewhere right. in the secondary. There's just no way we can't address that need. Yeah, I mean, if, if I you mean, look at yeah, the, this year's like offensive line class, like pretty much Brandon Scherf, I think, is thought of as probably the number one overall offensive line prospect and even he probably couldn't touch Jake Matthews last year like he's just not even in the same league so I I really don't think there's a top 10 offensive line candidate and unless we you know take like Cooper or something like that which is you know shouldn't do that uh there's really not anyone else I think that we should go farther than a pass rusher and uh the trend over the drafts under Dimitrov that I've seen um except for maybe the 2011 when he picked Julio Jones, normally he'll go rather than with uh, the best player available, he'll go with a player of a position that we need um, in the first round at least. So I'm going to probably guess that we're definitely taking a pass rusher. Yeah, and also don't forget that Dan Quinn will have a lot of influence in this draft. He's a defensive guy, as we all know. He'll want He'll want a pass rusher to build his defense around. Seattle's really known for their pass rush, for their stifling defense, and uh, nobody in our mock drafts took offense in the first round at all. Just on that Dan Quinn connection, uh, there was a lot of word, particularly earlier today, I know it really started ramping up in regards to the Falcons trading up in the first round, perhaps to the third or fourth overall pick. Uh, It seems likely if we were to do that, we'd be targeting Dante Fowler or perhaps even Williams. Is this just going to be too large of a gamble? Uh, is, we've got too many needs to fill, or are these guys so supreme in their talent it's probably worth pursuing that? What do we, got, what do we think about that? Uh, I, I don't think it's worth trading up for Fowler. Um, I do like Fowler. I think he's a good player. I think he'll be a good player. But I don't think the difference between Fowler and, say, Beasley or Dupree is as big as a lot of people like to, to make it out to be. So really the, the only player I would uh, trade up for would be Leonard Williams. And it's just not really a position of need for the Falcons, but if they were to say, think that he's the next J.J. Watt, then I could get on board with that. But otherwise, I, I don't think we should trade up. Uh, I'd say depending on what we give up, I'm all for it. I mean, you look at the, the past two years especially, this team has had no pass rush. So if they, you know, uh, if Dan Quinn sees enough of a, of a difference between, you know, the top two guys and the rest of them, you know, um, we'll say Fowler against Dupree or, you know, even Shane Ray, uh, you know, then I'm willing to take that risk as long as we're not giving up more than one first round pick. Cause I mean, we're picking eight, so it shouldn't take that much to trade up. Uh, so depending on what we give up, I'm all for it myself. Uh, I'm absolutely conflicted on it. I think while Leonard Williams would be a supreme talent and Dante Fowler would be a great fit here. Dan Quinn knows him. We just don't have enough depth to be giving up picks, especially I think it would take a second rounder to trade up to three with the Jaguars, somewhere around there. And 
Remember that Julio Jones trade up? We were paying the price for it for two years after that. We are still paying the price for it, even though I love Julio and I would have definitely done that trade up. I don't think now's the time to be trading up. No, and you mentioned the comparison between the Julio Jones trade, which if a trade up were to take place, that would obviously draw a lot of a lot of connection. You're right. The price we paid to get Jones was uh, was quite expensive at the time, but I think it was fair. The team felt it was probably only one piece away from a Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think it's at all. I don't think even the most optimistic fan is thinking that that's where we're at now. Uh, we've just got too many holes on the roster. I mean, the Jones trade got us to the NFC Championship game. If you trade up for Fowler or Williams, what's your what's your wildest dreams for how this season or next season can go? You know, we'll still be sort of stuck in that middle of the road in terms of the in terms of the whole league standings. We might make a run at the NFC South, but whatever for whatever that's worth, you know, that that's sort of stuck in a rut at the minute. I mean, I love Fowler. I think his history with Quinn would be quite useful on the team. Obviously, he's an excellent fit on that uh, Leo role. But I think the Falcons, with well, we've got eight picks in this draft. I think we need to take eight picks. I don't think we can afford to be giving any away, even one or two. Yeah, if they'll take our second, seventh rounder, uh, make that trade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd actually be more of an advocate for trading down to around 11 or 12 ahead of the Saints uh, because the Saints will be wanting a pass rusher as well to a team that maybe if Cooper or White Balls, a team that needs a wide receiver, trade down, maybe pick up an extra second or third and get Bud Dupree if he's there. If he's not, maybe Randy Gregory will slip. So that's always an op- option. Yeah, and that second and third round, it's an area where we've been quite inconsistent in years gone by, but just sheer volume of picks is bound to help correct that and sort of some fresh eyes. We've got, I know we've got Pioli in now, uh, Dan Quinn obviously having some say over the roster. I think trading down is an option that most fans actually wouldn't be too displeased about. Uh, in terms of guys in the second round, perhaps if we were to add another second round pick, is there anybody that you're looking at? Um, I... My, in my second round in the mock, uh, I went with Max Williams. That would be a dream second rounder for me. Uh, he's head and shoulders the best tight end in this class. Maybe Shane Ray slips. And and I know all of the talk about the marijuana charges, but don't forget a few years ago, the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, also missed an entire season and fell to the second round because of uh, drug charges because of failed uh, tests, and he ended up doing pretty well in the league. So, I'm an advocate of getting Shane Ray if he falls to the second round. To us, Justin Houston yeah, I, was another one. Oh no, sorry, you go on, you go on. No, no, uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, um, in terms of the second round, um, I think I actually think Max Williams is a good pick, um, particularly if we picked up a second second round pick. Uh, it could be a real good get um, if he fell that far. Um, and then, like, uh, I took uh, Stefan Anthony, inside linebacker, um, from Clemson with my pick. But uh, both of those guys would be excellent additions. So getting a second-round pick would definitely help in that regard. Yeah, I think we all, we're all in agreement that we do need to build through the draft, especially with the free agency not landing any big splash signings. Uh, we've talked about the pass rush. We've talked about how deep it is uh, in this draft class. But... Bit of news out in the last few days, and indeed the last few weeks. First with Randy Gregory testing positive for marijuana, and then just yesterday Shane Ray hurt his stock even further with a, uh, a marijuana citation misdemeanor. 
So it seems like these guys just can't really get out of their own way. What do the drug infringements do for the stock of these guys? Are they going to fall as far as we saw Houston fall? You mentioned uh, Tyrone Matthew earlier. So w where are these guys going to go as opposed to where they would have gone a few weeks ago? You know, when it comes down to it, what the, what the scouts are going to really be looking at is when they talk to, the, to these guys that had these infringements, they're going to want to see, you know, whether they think whether these guys can get their mind on track and whether they're serious about it. Um, because you can't deny, you know, when a guy gets caught for that, that doesn't make him any less talented. You know, that doesn't change his tape. So ultimately, they have to look at whether they think this guy can get focused. And if, if he can, then, you know, I don't really see it hurting their stock too much because this person's still just as talented and they'll want to have him on their team. Uh, I think that teams will be more turned off now after the Josh Gordon incident. Uh, Randy Gregory, I don't think he'll slip that much, but Shane Ray, I think his stock will plummet because not only does he have the marijuana misdemeanor, but also he has those injury issues. Uh, he might miss the first, he might miss five months right now in all of training camp. So it's not a reach to say that he might fall to the second round. Yeah. With, uh, anyone that's been following me recently knows that I've been, uh, steaming full full steam ahead on the Randy Gregory train um, with uh, with regards to his cannabis issues. Um, and uh, I've gone on record saying that I think he's a lot more like uh, Justin Houston than Josh Gordon. Um, but really what, what this Shane Ray thing does to Gregory is it kind of propels him back in front of him again um, and that Gregory was able to you know, explain himself in visits after the combine, get a chance to kind of clear his name, you know, talk to the coaches and everything. Shane Ray will not have any opportunity to do that. He pretty much picked the worst possible time to get in trouble. So, like uh, like these other guys said, I think Shane Ray's going to gonna fall. Um, and another mock draft, uh, group mock draft I did, I, we had Shane Ray fall all the way to Oakland in round two. I don't think he's going to fall that far, but uh, I think he'll he'll fall a lot, and I think I think Gregory, though, will go in the top 20, for sure. Well, with Shane Ray, people already had a lot of questions about him um, as far as his pass rushing, because, you know, you look at it, you look at his tape, and you can't deny that really the only thing he wins with is his speed, and whether that could work out for him, and he could learn a lot more, so he does have a lot of potential, but just having that question there, and then the injury, and then, you know, the charges, it kind of it sets him up to slip down a lot. Also, it's a big character issue. Like you're two days away from getting drafted and making millions. Just he couldn't have stayed off of it for a couple more days. Yeah, see, that's the biggest flag for me. Uh, I know uh, that Kevin mentioned they're not going to have a chance to explain themselves either, uh, or at least Ray isn't. But yeah, it's just the timing of it. Just just pick a better time. If you're going to get caught, get caught next week and have the team deal with it. You're already on the team. You know, maybe you put the fan base off slightly but then you can work your way back doing this you've pretty much just put yourself up against the rest of the league you're already in the bad books right off the bat essentially it's just the timing of yeah. it and i know we've mentioned the injuries as well i still have a hard time thinking he falls out of the first but he's certainly not going to be going in the top 15 for mine i think you're looking at 20 to 32 somewhere in that range there yeah i agree with that and also, he, he just, like, lost out on millions on it. Millions of dollars because he'll fall really far. It, that's 
I, I just can't believe that he couldn't just stay off of it for a few more days. For sure. And he's already uh, being forced to, or it's mandatory, that he now enters uh, the NFL's program for these sort of issues. So he's already in that. It's only like a stage one thing. I'm not, I think it's a three-stage process, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, he's already in a program. It's just, obviously, the timing is less than ideal. Even regardless of what your opinion is on the offense, it's, it's, it is the sort of thing of, yeah, really, you, just, you couldn't hold out three more days or you just, you just couldn't put it away for a week. Yeah, that's just the biggest concern for mine. Uh, the team's got a really strict uh, character filter there. I know that we've brought that up earlier. You guys discussed maybe the team trying to go in a different direction, get a little bit more of a hard edge to it through the draft. So we've got these two guys here. Are they going to pass the character filter? Let's say the Falcons trade back to where you're in the mid-20s perhaps and Ray's still on the board. Let's say we trade back uh, into the early teens and guys like Gregory are still on the board talent win out or does the filter win out what's going to happen there um well, I, I, was, I uh, think uh, i think gregory uh is in play at eight even depending on how the draft shakes out so obviously i'd be game for him at uh at you know 12 as well but um and if we somehow traded back into the 20s you know we obviously need to get a lot of compensation to do that you know chip kelly you know trading the whole draft or something like that uh hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at that point, I would be okay with taking Shane Ray. Um, but generally, I think he's just not a great fit for the Leo role, but that maybe isn't the role they want him to play for the Falcons. I'm not sure. I'd say, for, for me, the biggest thing to look at as far as, you know, you mentioned the, the Falcon filter, um, it's going to be, now that we have a new coach, you know, that pretty much went on from, you know, since Dimitrov and Smith came in. They came in at the same time. So now that Smith's gone, you wonder maybe, you know, how much of that was Mike Smith and how much was Thomas Dimitrov as far as, you know, not wanting certain players who have character issues. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much of the, you know, how he drafts uh, these players that have issues off the field um, relative to how he did it when Mike Smith was the coach. And I think uh, now the character filter will be at an all-time low because, uh, Arthur Blank actually came out and publicly stated that he'd be okay with the Falcons getting more quote-unquote edgier players. In 08, when it was instilled, that was after the Michael Vick fiasco, and we needed a new change in the team identity, and that worked out back then. But remember, even last year, we got Prince Shembo, who had his own legal problems, so I think the character filter filter is fading out, and that talent will inevitab- inevitably win out. Yeah, and I think we've seen, you mentioned the Michael Vick, we're so far removed from that 2007, just the implosion of the franchise. Uh, another thing is the team has been actually pretty lenient on marijuana charges just in the past. We've had a couple of players on the roster uh, be caught either in possession or get warning citations. Hasn't really seemed to affect them too much in terms of uh, discipline coming from the team. So I think that's probably... If if the fit's there and if that's where these players are on the board, I don't think that the marijuana thing's going to necessarily affect where we take them. Should they be there at 8 or slightly later, perhaps even slightly earlier if we're going to trade up guys like Fowler or whatever go earlier. Um, Just one last thing on the draft, and I think this is something that we can all actually really discuss for quite a while. It, It gets like this every year where you get attached to a sleeper, or a late-round guy, and you think that this is the guy that's going to give the Falcons the edge. 
Uh, for me, it's David Cobb. I know there's a lot of guys thinking that. We didn't have the success with Stephen Jackson that we wanted, uh, but I think I drafted him in the fifth in our, in our mock, for the Riders mock. Maybe he won't be there in the fifth. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but should he be there in the fourth? Maybe if we trade up or if some part of some part of the trade we move around in the mid-rounds. I would really love to see the Falcons grab him. He's just hard-nosed. He's low to the ground. He's physical, and I think... If you put him with Freeman, you put him with Smith as well, especially we saw Anton Smith have a fantastic season last year. I think if you put those guys together, that's starting to look like a really good group. Uh, quite young, obviously. Anton Smith's not as young as we all think. He's been around for quite a while, but Freeman and Cobb together, that's starting to look like the foundation of a real strong uh, change of pace lineup as well. What do you guys think? I'll start with you, Adnan. Uh, who's your guy that you think the Falcons should pursue on the second or the third day of the draft? Uh, my main sleeper pick, it's a deep sleeper. I picked him in the seventh round of our mock. It's Zach Zenner from uh, South Dakota State, a running back. He'll fall. I think he's projected to even go undrafted because he's a small school guy from South Dakota State, but he had three straight 2,000-yard rushing seasons in the FCS. He's a physical running back. He, he can get through the hole. He can run over players. He had a 4-5-40 time, which means he has some good speed. And against the big teams, he had 200 yards against Nebraska, over 100 yards on 6 yards per carry against Missouri. He showed up against the big-name teams with the big league defenses. So I think Zach Sender will would be a, pr- a really good pick in the seventh round. Uh, yeah, Kevin, what about your guy? Do you have anyone that you can see the Falcons going at and really getting sort of a great return from for quite a low cost? Um, well, it's it's a hard choice because I have a lot of guys I really like. Um, talking about lower rounds, um, and following the the trend of the running backs that we're talking about, uh, a guy that I really like um, is uh, Javorius Allen from USC. Um, he's uh, he's a physical running back, probably not as physical as Cobb. I would say Cobb is one of the most physical backs in this class, um, but uh, he is an insanely productive back that ran behind a USC offensive line, which, if you watched any tape on USC's offensive line, was... When I watched tape on Buck Allen, um, I more noticed how bad USC's offensive line was at times. Uh, And he (laughs) still found ways to make it work. Um, This is a guy who's a physical runner. He's got good top-end speed. He's a one-cut guy, great for the zone zone blocking scheme. Um, And... Just really impressive production. I think he had like 1,400 yards rushing this season to pair with 700 and something yards receiving. Um, So he's a threat out of the backfield to catch the ball, which we all know Matt Ryan loves to throw the ball to running backs. Um, You know, screen pass on third and nine. Um, Hmm. And uh, he's played in a USC's pro-style offense. Uh, His pass blocking is above average for a back, you know, coming out of college. Obviously, he's still going to need work. But... um, yeah, I think he's a guy that can come in and fill that niche as our physical running back, but also be able to contribute on third downs and receiving situations. Uh, he's big, too. I think he's like 6'1", 220. So he'd be a good fit, I think. Uh, and he, he, he'll, either, he'll definitely be there in the fourth, um, but if he makes it to the fifth, uh, he'd be a good pick. You just mentioned his talent out of the backfield as well. That is one thing the Falcons have really missed in recent years. Obviously, Michael Turner being the big workhorse for a while was not in any way regarded for his hands. I remember he had one, 
I think possibly even 60, quite a long receiving touchdown, which was just a simple throw over the middle and Gonzalez gave him a good block and he was away. Apart from that, I can't remember him catching a ball. Uh, Snelling was there for a while, obviously. Jaquiz Rogers has just left. There's not really too much by way of uh, third down back where you have to play him honest, you know, in a third and three, third and four situation. Who are you going to... You see Michael Turner, a Michael Turner type on the field. You're probably going to back off there. Um, particularly in Shanahan's offense, I know this was one of the biggest needs in terms of tight end or even fullback. They like to play that up-back sort of style where there is a pass to somebody coming out of the backfield. So, yeah, that, uh, that would actually be quite a good addition there for Buck Allen. Tyler, if I go to you, do you have a guy that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with the homer pick. Um, I got to go with my boy Chris Conley out of Georgia. Now, I know he got a lot of publicity after the combine because he had like ridiculous measurables. He had like a 4.35.40, and he broke the, or he tied the combine record for broad jump and vertical jump. But a lot of people are still sleeping on him, and he's probably still going to fall down to the third or fourth round um, because his numbers in college, just as far as his stats, and he didn't really get that many yards. Um, his stats weren't that well, uh, that good, but what people got to understand is, you know, if you look at Georgia's offense, which you know I'm a Georgia fan, I'm familiar with it. Um, the way that they did things, at least with offensive coordinator Mike Bobo during Conley's time there, was they run the ball every play until it was third and nine, and then they and then they'd pass it. And thing about Chris Conley is every time we had one of those third down situations, he got open, and he made the catch. So he's pretty much like an extremely clutch receiver um, and he can get in the end zone. He can make separation. He's got great speed and size. Um, I think he's a lot of teams are still sleeping on him because he didn't put up many numbers, but you know, he can get open he can make plays. Um, you know, he's smart and everything he got. I think he's a, he's a 4.0 student in college. Um, he made a movie. So, I mean, this guy, this guy is, uh, he's not going to cause any problems off the field and he's going to be a solid receiver. I think he could end up being a, uh, starting number two receiver in the league pretty quickly. Yeah, and the Falcons obviously looking to transition away from Roddy White. Uh, that's been happening over the past few seasons. Even if we were to grab Conley, you could stick Conley outside and move White into the slot, which I know, uh, full-time right. in the slot, I know that's something that a lot of the fans have discussed for quite a while, how to still best uh, get the best out of Roddy White. The Conley one would obviously right. make a lot of the fan base quite happy. Uh, can we afford to sink a pick? Let's say he's there in the fourth. Can we afford to sink a pick that early into the offense? I think so. I mean, uh, you know, we traded Harry, D- or not, we we cut Harry Douglas, and so we do have a hole at wide receiver, although a lot of people don't want to admit it. You know, you got Julio and Roddy, and those are the, the guys that you go to. Um, but you gotta have you got to have one more guy, and we signed Leonard Hankerson, but there's no guarantee that he's going to, improve on you know his first few seasons with the Redskins so you know I think get another guy you know whether it's Conley or somebody even in a later round and just try to try to develop them and hopefully get somebody with good size I think yeah yeah I would agree with that I think um I think the fourth round's pretty much the sweet spot to, to start going offense um I think most mucks usually have us go running back in the fourth but um there's definitely room to, to improve the offense in this draft um I think um I agree with Tyler. Like we we do need a wide receiver. Um, I think it's more not the third. We need a, a new third option. It's that we need to groom someone to take over for Roddy. Um, yeah. So I, I actually like Leonard Hankinson. Um, I think he can be our number three um, decently. Um, I think he'll pretty much give us about what Harry Douglas gave us. Um, and when you take into account 
you know, Kyle Shanahan and his offense. He doesn't use three wide receiver sets all that much. It's mostly two tight ends. Um, so to get um, that third receiver is just not going to see a lot of snaps. Um, at least, you know, obviously if we have three really good receivers, we're probably going to do more three wide receiver sets. But uh, I think I would have the Falcons pick someone a little bit later on. Like um, a lot of us had uh, the Falcons taking DeAndre Smelter from Georgia Tech. Um, guy coming off an ACL injury, but his production was excellent, and he's a physical marvel. Um, so, you know, will he be able to contribute this season very much? Probably not, but uh, if you're getting him in the seventh, you know, it's great value. Yeah, uh, I think we should grab a receiver. I don't know if fourth round is the way to go. I'd agree with Kevin that maybe we should wait a little bit, get Smelter, Desmond Lewis, sixth or seventh round. I would take offense in the first four, but if not Max Williams, I would definitely go with a guard. You know, Ollie Marpet is a guy I really like. I know Harrison got him in the second round in our mocks. Uh, you know, it's just we need that offensive line, that structure. Uh, championship teams know how to run the ball, and championship teams have good offensive linemen. They're not the guys who get the recognition, but they might be the most important guys on the field other than the quarterback. Yeah, and on Marpet, it's obviously difficult this far out to project where people are going to be going in terms of this far out of the second day. Uh, but we did have a couple of the riders that you mentioned. I, I went after him in the second, which may have been slightly early, but I really do feel he's a great fit in the zone scheme. Uh, David Neff, one of the other riders, went with Marpet in the third, and uh, Sonny as well, also Marpet in the third. So I think we can see at least amongst the fan base, a little bit of a trend towards wanting to go the guard there. Uh, all of the sleeper guys seem to be on offense, which is interesting, interesting to note. Uh, other than that, I think the draft, I mean, it's been talked about to death, as happens every year, but the biggest thing that we need to look at is make sure we really nail that first-round pick, get a defensive end or a pass rusher of some description. Uh, going from there, obviously, drafts develop how they develop. There's always a million mocks every year that are not even close. Um, but in terms of all the mocks, I think you can see we went defensive end early and then people did address free safety. They addressed, addressed the guard. From there, we just tried to add some impact players. Do you guys have any closing comments on the draft? Anything you'd like to see? Any trends maybe that we haven't looked at? Um, yeah, we need to trade up for Mariota. <laughs> we, we need, need to get girly back. at eight. That Ryan's a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I saw uh, Adnan, I think it was you, posted something. Uh, pretty hot take. <laughs> a scorching take about uh, after Mariota. A lot of fire. Uh, yeah, so, someone tweeted out, uh, we need to trade up to get Mariota uh, so that he can light a fire under Matt Ryan. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and by the way, none of us are being serious about this. We do not condone getting Gurley or Mariota at no. eight or trading up. <laughs> Definitely not. Actually, the Gurley thing's been done to death, but just quickly, where where do we think he's going to go, even if it's not to the Falcons? Just George, a bit of Georgia interest there. What's going to happen with I'd, I'd say he's probably going to end up either on the, uh, the Ravens, Patriots, or Seahawks. That's my guess. Um, middle of the first round, the Patriots might trade up for him, which is not a Bill Belichick move, but for Gurley it might be. Yeah, I could see. Um, I could see San Diego making a move on him if they if they like him. Um, they seem to be more enamored with Melvin Gordon at this point, but 
San Diego, uh, New England, definitely, if he's still there. Um, yeah, he, I don't think he'll make it out of the first round. Oh, and no, uh, certainly wouldn't uh, make it out of the first. Also, I'd like to make an interesting observation. It, I'm just intrigued at how Thomas Dimitrov, who comes from the school of Bill Belichick, of always trading down, I'm intrigued at how he always trades up. He's always wanting to trade up. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point in terms of where he's come from. It maybe doesn't go along with the philosophy so much. A lot of that might be that they think they are one piece away, especially in the earlier years, one piece away from doing really good things. But it would also be pretty fair to say that about Belichick's Patriots, really, for the last decade. They've always been there or thereabouts, uh, especially in their division. They've always got a pretty good chance of going to the playoffs. So it is interesting that Belichick's not thinking, all right, let's trade up and let's get that one-impact guy. Um, and then, yeah, you see Dimitrov come out, and he's, he's so keen. I mean, he, people call him Trader Thomas, you know. He's got that, that move <laughs> to go up. Uh, the Julio one, obviously, was a big one. But he's not afraid to really go after the players that he wants. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. He's hit the nail on the head two out of the three times he's traded up in the first. He got Julio, uh, who's arguably our best player, not named Matt Ryan. And he also traded up and got Desmond Trufant a few years ago. Uh, and he's our best defensive player. I'm not even going to debate that. But also that one time in 08 when he traded up and got Sam Baker, that was not the best move. Let's, let's all try to forget about that. Yeah, even at the time, <laughs> yeah. it was a little bit of a reach. Everyone thought we were just trying to fill a, fill a void on the team there. But yeah. Well, let's, let's not forget the time that he extended Sam Baker as well. So I, he might be a little obsessed ah. with him. <laughs> we're still paying the price for that. That beard. He just loves the beard, man. <laughs> Uh, another little bit of news coming out of Flowery Branch there is that we began a voluntary pre-draft mini-camp yesterday. Uh, so Dan Quinn's obviously going to get another hands-on look at the team before the draft, gets to see what he's got. I mean, he'd obviously be across that. He's obviously watched a lot of film in the past few months. Uh, is there anything that Falcons fans should be looking for here? Is it a voluntary mini-camp? There's nothing to read into it. Is it just for the organisation to get a better handle on things? Kevin, what should we be looking for there? Um, it, it's always good to see your star players, your guys that are your cornerstones, show up for voluntary everything. Um, and that's basically what's happened here. Um, you hear all these reports these days like, oh, so-and-so didn't show up for camp. Oh, he's holding out for a contract. Oh, he doesn't want to be there. You know, we, we haven't heard anything like that from the Falcons camp. And I think that tells you that everyone is basically bought in. Everyone wants to be there. Everyone knows they're going to have to put in work, uh, if they want to be, you know, on top this season, um. So I think, you know, when you're looking at these voluntary workouts, you're basically not looking for, oh, what scheme are they running, you know, who's doing what. It's more, is everyone there? Does everyone seem like they want to be there? And I feel like that is uh, 100% yes so far. So uh, kudos to, to Quinn for getting everyone to buy in. Yeah, the other thing out of the camps was uh, we saw a couple of uh, camp bodies as such signed uh, this morning. The news came out of the Falcons with the official official feed there. Tyler, did you see any, any names on that list that really catch your eye? Are they just warm camp bodies? What's what's happening there? Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of nice names on it. Um, a lot of people that I actually recognized, which uh, it's kind of a change from how it was in previous years where they would sign guys that no one had really heard of, people who got drafted in like the seventh round by you know the Redskins and no one knew who they were. Um, but uh, I'd say the biggest one, his name is eluding me right now. Um, 
I gotta pull up the list here. Uh, Adam Carricker, former first round pick um, from. Well, I just said the Redskins, but he was a first round pick by the Redskins, defensive end. Um, he didn't really have a great career so far. He has nine sacks in his career, but um, the thing about this guy is, you know, he was a first round pick, so obviously there was some kind of potential, something about him that was, you know, he was obviously a good player in college. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, of course, there's really no risk with having him as a tryout player. So it's going to be nice to see if maybe uh, Coach Quinn can get something out of him. Um, and we got a lot of a lot of other good players as well. But he's probably the one that stands out the most because, you know, he was drafted the highest. And maybe his potential come to the come to the surface and he can be a productive player. Yeah, Evan Royster was the other one on that list that really caught my eye. Uh, yeah, not necessarily a great player. Obviously, you know what you're getting with these sorts of things. They're they're out there for a reason in some cases. But uh, I mean, he's he's worked with uh, Shanahan in the past, I believe. He's come from that Redskins offense as well. Uh, yeah, didn't make the cut last season, but you know, I, I remember nice things f- uh, from him, particularly in the early Alfred Morris days. Uh, I remember him always being a nice second or third down uh, option and. I also remember him really sticking it to my fantasy team a couple of times when I had Morris and him <laughs> in. So maybe if we could get get a good a good return from him for that. Adnan, anyone for you? Uh, the scavenger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Royster. He'd be. I'd love him as a third or fourth string running back. I've seen good things with him. Uh, I really like Colin Mooney, who Tyler said it. He has the army record for most rushing yards in the season. Uh, he's a fullback. Mostly for the position, we haven't had a good fullback since Ovi Mahaley. And uh, I think we really need a fullback to try and light a fire under Patrick DeMarco uh, to compete for that starting job. Yeah, not a fantastic uh, pass catcher. We already mentioned the importance of pass catching in the Shanahan offense, but should they address the tight end in the draft, maybe through Max Williams? Uh, Wes Saxton was another guy that came up in the mocks a few times as long as they get some production from the tight end position even if it's with either of the guys that they signed in free agency uh, that might be actually quite a neat little signing there a little bit under the radar and suddenly we're looking pretty good at the fullback position right uh, another thing to note is that ESPN's Vaughn McClure wrote a three things to watch for in terms of this mini camp. Uh, the first two were the impact of Julio Jones and the health of Sam Baker, which obviously are going to be discussed to death, especially in Baker's case, where that seems to have been the narrative throughout his whole career. The third point was quite interesting, though, I found from McClure. It was that uh, Desmond Southwood is possibly moving from safety to cornerback. Now, this is something we've heard whispers about quite a lot over the offseason. Uh, I think Southwood was one of the real pleasant surprises last year, perhaps in a weaker secondary than we would have liked, but he stood up and he showed quite a bit at times. What sort of impact is it going to have if we move Southwood to our cornerback position? What does it do for that stock? But perhaps more importantly, what are, what are we going to do at free safety there? We've got really nobody on the roster who looks a lock to start right now. Charles Godfrey's obviously there, but probably not as the long-term play. What are we going to do with that? Um. Yeah, with... Uh... With Southward, I thought he was a prototypical free safety, um, like amazing speed and size. Like his, uh, his basically, the, I think the whole reason the Falcons drafted him in the third was because his measurements were just so off the charts. Um, he's, uh, you know, obviously we know Quinn in Seattle; they like their big, physical corners. So Southward could potentially make that uh, transition and be a big corner. 
But like you said, the main issue with that is, you know, other than Charles Godfrey, there's no other free safeties. Um, you know, Kamal Ishmael, one of my favorite players, uh, and I'm a UCF alumni, so, you know, I'm a little bit biased towards him. But I love Ishmael, but he's not a free safety. Um, he's not going to be your single high deep cover safety like what uh, the Seahawks like to run. Um, he's a great backup for Willie Mo. Um, you know, if he gets hurt and he's a great guy to have in those three safety big nickel sets as like an enforcer, but he's not a free safety. So, you know, we got Charles Godfrey who, you know, he was a solid safety at Carolina for a long time. Um, and you know, last year coming off that, that ACL tear, um, you know, it's hard to come back from that, uh, in one season. So they could believe maybe that he will be back to full strength and he can be a good one year stopgap. Um, but if Southward goes to corner, you know, it's basically like an assurance that the Falcons are going to be picking a free safety early in the draft to, to fill that backup free safety role and eventually groom to take over. Um, and, you know, it, it could be that they're tr- just trying Southward at corner and maybe they plan to kind of use him as a hybrid. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, if we do go that route, we're pretty, pretty, pretty thin at uh, free safety. Yeah, no doubt. Is yeah. there any names to be looking for in the draft, you thinking, or any maybe guys left out there in free agency? The, I mean, at this point, the pool is pretty thin there, you know, but uh, there's a couple of guys floating around in the draft, perhaps quite a strong secondary class. Anybody we should be looking for? Uh, I think uh, in the second round, uh, Eric Robinson said, suggested Darren Smith. He called him a poor man's Earl Thomas. And I think if we do move southward, it pretty much guarantees that we have to get a free safety early in the draft, maybe in the second round, because in Dan Quinn's cover three zone, the free safety is arguably the most important position acting as a center fielder. That's why Seattle had so so much success with the Legion of Boone. Their best defensive player is Earl Thomas, I think, no disrespect to uh, Richard Sherman, but I think Darren Smith would be a nice name in the second round to get if we do move southward. Eric Rowe was another one. Uh, perhaps he'll be there with our second round pick. He's listed as a, a cornerback, can play safety quite tall, 6'1". Uh, his measurables at the combine, just unbelievable. He, he was fantastic there. He's that He could play that center fielder role that you just discussed. Uh, anybody else we're looking at maybe in the later rounds or probably address this need early? Um, I I picked uh, Demarius Randall, who apparently is like a, a trendy first round, late first round pick now, which I don't see that at all. Uh, I love Demarius Randall. I think he has, he's basically Earl Thomas. Uh, he's got pretty much the same size as Earl Thomas. Um, n- nowhere near as polished as Earl Thomas, obviously, but, um, you know, he's got that size. He's rangy. He's got good good hands um he is more than willing to help out and run support he needs to work on his technique a bit but he will try to go up and lay a hit i'm not afraid of that i don't know why people are saying he's a first rounder now um he's got some issues his coverage is it's gonna need work which is why i think he's a good pick in the third um yeah so he, he could learn behind you know godfrey godfrey for a year and be that backup uh and then hopefully next year he could take over and be that uh, that center fielder that we're looking for yeah, I don't think that if we do move south toward the corner, I don't think that we can gamble with the free safety later on. I think we have to take one early. Uh, in the third round, I picked Alex Carter, who's a physical cornerback. But uh, 
with some size, with uh, a little more weight, he can move to safety. So there is an option, but I don't think we can afford to take a safety after the first three rounds and rely on just that to be our starting free safety. Particularly with last year, you saw how injury depleted the unit got. Uh, William Moore's obviously dealt with his stuff at the strong safety position, but yeah, we really need to make sure we're nailing that one early, or at the very least having a, a much better plan B than we did last year of just playing the younger guys. At the moment, I don't see that on the roster, so I'd expect a, a safety to come on the second day for sure. Uh, yeah. Other news in the uh, past week? Oh, no, sorry, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, I was shocked when we let uh, Dwight Lowry go. I thought he had a pretty good season for us, and I, I was that was just a head-scratching move, letting him go, but I trust Dan Quinn and what he's doing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I thought Dwight Lowry had a fantastic season. Um, all things considered, um, a lot of people like to talk about, oh, the Falcons had the worst pass defense in the league. Well, it wasn't the secondary's fault. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, it was the fact that the pass rush was just god-awful. Uh, and the run defense was also really bad. Um, so I think we actually have a decent secondary in place that got exposed badly because of the lack of pass rush and third down D. It was just, uh, I don't want to get into all that because it's just going to be a sob fest for all of us. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, you, you can only cover someone for so long in the NFL. Exactly, yeah. Right. You know, Dwight Lowry, I thought he did a good job. I think the reason he got cut is because he's not that center fielder. He's he's a good free safety, like, in a cover two, I think, like what the Falcons were playing last year. Um, But I feel like uh, he's not that center fielder, which is probably why Dan Quinn was just like, yeah, let's just move on from him. Yeah, absolutely. The other side of that one is that yeah, it, were, we move, uh, were we to move southward to the cornerback position, that's looking like a real area of strength. That's something that Falcons have struggled with, perhaps. Uh, personnel, we've put a lot of time and free agent signings, we've put a lot of picks into it. Obviously, the Trufant trade-up was mentioned earlier. Uh, we went Trufant, Alfred, doubled them up in the first and second recently. But it's starting to look like quite a solid unit after years of overhaul, uh, after losing Grimes, after losing or the big signing of Dante Robinson and then him not panning out. We had the Asante Samuel thing come through. At, if we were to have Southwood, Alford, and uh, Trufant, that's starting to look like a very solid group there, and there's not really much need to address that this season and perhaps not even next season. So that's quite nice to have an area locked up like that. Yeah, and also Kamal Ishmael and William Moore are steady anchors as well, provided that Moore can stay healthy. He is a former pro bowler. And I also like Ishmael, like Kevin said. He's one of his favorite players. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing to look for in the past week, obviously a lot of the focus has been on the draft, a lot of the focus has been on the minicamp in the past few days. The biggest thing that came out in the past week for mine would be the schedule. They released the schedule, we now know what teams we're playing in what order, home or road. Uh, it's clearly too early to, to mock the season, uh, especially without having a draft class on the roster to have a look at. But the Falcons' schedule's come out. People are starting to do predictions. It's obviously quite early. But, uh, Kevin, what's your expectation for the season? Um, I uh, actually did an article on the schedule for Vlog and Dirty um, with game-by-game -game predictions, which, of course, extremely early to do anything like that. But uh, I went ahead and did it anyway for the lulls. Um, and uh, I, I have the Falcons right now going 9-7. and seven. Um, I think the team was essentially an 8-8 eight and eight team last year, if not for a few... Uh, Mike Smith coaching fumbles. Um, 
And uh, normally I would have the team, you know, improve. I, I think the team is going to improve by more than one game and, and how they play. Um, partic- you know, I could definitely see the team doing better than 9-7, and seven, but um, I feel like they're a 10-6 team that's going to lose one game for some stupid reason. Um, and I actually had that game as the 49ers game. I feel like the 49ers are not going to be good, but somehow we'll, we'll go uh, out there and just lose for some reason. But, uh, yeah, I actually think that the Falcons will do pretty well. Um, they'll rebound and get a winning season. Um, they might even sneak into the playoffs if the NFC South is bad again, which, you know, New Orleans probably isn't getting better. Um, Carolina, who knows what they're going to do. You know, they could get, they could probably stay about the same. That's pretty much what I'm predicting. Uh, Tampa Bay is going to get better, but they're not going to be more than like a six win team probably. So, uh, I think that, uh, Falcons have a good chance of, of going nine and seven. 10 and 6 and, and getting into the playoffs. But uh, I don't think they'll make a ton of noise this year. It's probably for 2016 and beyond. Yeah, Adnan, what about you? What are you what's what is there for Falcons fans to look at? Is there a series of weeks that we might be targeting as hey we can get a couple of wins here, maybe a couple of games in a row that alright if we go one on one in that stretch, that's pretty decent. What are your thoughts on the schedule? Um I'm actually looking at it right now. It's I'm a little more optimistic. I think we could win 11 or 12 games. But the first four weeks will definitely be a key. We get Philadelphia at home on Monday Night Football. Who knows? I think that's the perfect week to get Philadelphia because they'll have some chemistry issues with all their new offensive pieces in New York, in Dallas versus Houston. If we can go 2-2, two and 3-1 two, and one in that stretch, then we'll be all right. But we don't play our first division game until week six in New Orleans. And uh, I like games like the one against Indianapolis at home, which I'm sure a lot of people aren't picking us to win, but that's coming after a bye week, so we should be a little more prepared for that. And in the last six weeks, we get Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Jacksonville, and then Carolina and New Orleans at home. I definitely think we can go around 5-1 and one right there and go into the playoffs with some really good momentum. Yeah, if you come into that stretch with six wins and then you get on a bit of a roll there, you're starting to look quite good, especially towards the playoffs, as you mentioned. Uh, Tyler, anything for you? <laughs> um, you know, call me optimistic, but I look at the schedule and I see I just see a ton of winnable games. I mean, a lot of people know um, we have the easiest strength of schedule based on last year's records. Um but you know, I look at I look at these games and I see games that I know we can win just because you know we have the pieces on the team, and I feel like we had had this a lot of the pieces on the team last year to win a lot of games, but unfortunately we just didn't execute. And we had injuries. Um, the one thing that I will say, uh, week one, uh, we're coming for you, Tebow. <laughs> yes, and we'll have Mariota this time, so the, the tables have turned. <laughs> Tebow versus Mariota marquee matchup. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, I do look at this in the last two weeks we get Caroline and New Orleans. The big thing there is both of those games will be at the Georgia Dome. I'm pretty almost positive that those games will be something to play for. So mark your calendars for December 27th and possibly January 3rd. And how great would it be to eliminate New Orleans' playoff hopes two years in a row? That's pretty much the dream. Glorious. That's pretty much the dream. 
just with those two, I mean, the tiebreaker scenario is there as well. The season should be alive for quite a while. I know it was alive last year, but that was more to do with the low record needed to win the NFC South. Even if there's market improvement in the division, two divisional games, end of the season, if we go all right at the early stage of the season, the season really should be alive. I mean, you might be coming into that last few games really needing a lot of wins. But there's some very winnable games in there. A lot of divisional games. I know you mentioned Jacksonville. Um, and I think that's going to that's gonna be quite positive for the team to have an atmosphere of we're still alive, even if they drop a couple of games. You know, we can still do this. We can still go out. It's Last season, it was pretty obvious, even towards the end, when we were mathematically still in it, like this isn't a team that's going to make a lot of noise. So, you know, you maybe start looking to the future or playing kids, playing them out of necessity maybe with injury. But... It is just good for the team to be competitive for a full season. I think that's it's going to be quite beneficial to the organisation and especially to Quinn in his first first season as a head coach. Right, and I, I think one more uh, nice thing about the schedule, like I really feel like we got we have probably the best schedule in the league uh, this year just because uh, one thing that I look at is um, our AFC matchups. Obviously, we're playing the AFC South this year. So, you know, you got the Titans, the Jags, the Texans, and the Colts. Um, the two best teams in that division, which would be the Texans and the Colts, we have at home, and then the Titans and the Jaguars, who, frankly, I don't think we should be too worried about. We have them on the road, so that worked out in our favor pretty well. Yeah, there is quite a good balance in terms of the road games seem to be quite a lot easier than the home games, in terms of just if they were played on a neutral field, you know, or the talent of the teams. Right. The road games do seem to be the easier set of teams, which is obviously quite beneficial. I know the noise violations and all of the things that have been said about the Georgia Dome in recent <laughs> years, but we do play pretty well at the Georgia Dome, historically. Uh, so it is nice to have that, and also the run-in home where we had a couple of games. Last year, you looked at, there was something like a month and a half where we didn't play a game in the Georgia Dome in terms of we had our home right. game in London and nothing like that. No shenanigans like that this year. We'll be in the Georgia Dome. It'll hopefully be loud. It'll hopefully be loud with real fans and not a pre-recorded track. <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah, well, I, think, I think that's pretty beneficial as well. Yeah, uh, we do have we do have one stretch um, from November 29th. We play the Vikings at home, and then December 27th we play the Panthers. So that's the longest we'll go without playing at home. That's about a month. Um, but I think we can handle it because it's uh, it's the Buccaneers, Panthers, and Jaguars. So I don't think it should be too bad. Yeah, so some wild card games that I'm looking at uh, in terms of 50-50. Uh, it could go either way. The game in New York against the Giants, you know, nobody knows if the Giants will be for real this year. I know Odell Beckham torched us last year. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles game at home, the one in San Francisco against the 49ers, and the Indianapolis Colts one coming off of the bye. Those will be some games to watch out for where they could go either way. I think if we even push the Colts, I think that's going to be a really positive sign. The Colts are a very good team. Uh, the strength of schedule was brought up earlier. I believe they have the second easiest strength of schedule in terms of getting to play the NFC South and the AFC South, obviously not the strongest division either. Uh, I think the Colts will be quite good next year. Plus, you factor in an easy schedule, I think they could really be making some noise. So if we get close to the Colts, if we push them, uh, maybe you know take it to if it's within one possession in the last quarter... I think you've got to take that as a pretty positive sign. Obviously, that's a long way away. We don't know what the draft class looks like. We don't know what injuries either team's going to have at the time or form. But, I mean, that, that game could be quite a benchmark, really, 
for how's this team going? Are we just going to fold under the pressure of the bigger teams or are we looking to really be competitive in the next few years? Yeah, and a subplot being Matt Ryan versus Andrew Luck in that game. Yes. <laughs> of course. Yep. Maybe we can silence all the haters. Yes. Yeah, and I'd also like to make one last note. We'll have two primetime games this year, the Monday Nighter against Philadelphia to open the season, and our first division game in New Orleans October 15th will be on Thursday Night Football on CBS. And, you know, hopefully we get a few more of those games flexed in to Monday night or Sunday night uh, because we'll be playing for something at the end of the season. Should a Falcons-Saints week 16 or week 17, rather, uh, match up for the divisional title, I think they'd have a pretty hard time not chucking that on the uh, on the nationally televised schedule there. That'd have to be go prime time, well, I would have thought. The thing about that is it's kind of hard to get on national TV if you're not the Cowboys, so... We'll have to see how that goes. I had, I had enough of the Cowboys last year. Thank you. There, there was. I think they had like five Sunday night games. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, but no, two, yeah. two primetime games. Not bad. Obviously, coming from where we came from last year, perhaps not the most popular team at the moment from a neutral fans' point of view. But two's good, and it was mentioned. You know, we can maybe flex some in later. The run home should be really beneficial for the Falcons, and I think Falcons fans don't get too disheartened early. If the record's looking around 500, we have a great run home. Like we could really string together five. I mean, six is maybe optimistic, but four to five wins, and that really starts making the season look quite good. Uh, I know a couple of you guys mentioned it, but do you want to give me a record prediction, perhaps? Tyler, we'll start with you. Are you optimistic? What are you thinking? I'm going to say 11 and five. Um, I think I think we have the talent on the team, and I think we have the easy schedule, um, and I think those two go hand in hand. We go on some nice win streaks, and we pull out eleven wins, get the division title, probably second or third seed. Yep, uh, Kevin, what about you? Um, yeah, I'm still saying uh, nine and seven until I see how the draft plays out. Um, I think the Falcons should be about. A ten and six team, assuming the defense takes a step forward. Um, you know, uh, they were literally the worst defense in the league last year. So as long as they get better, I feel like uh, the Falcons' offense, which is you know the bread and butter of the team, I don't think that's going to change even with Dan Quinn being here. Um, you know, I think they'll they'll improve and get a winning season uh, the first time since two thousand twelve. That's obviously what we're all striving for. That would be fantastic, uh, Adnan. Anything from you? What? Where? Where, where uh, do you think the Falcons are going to end up here? Uh, I think we'll go nineteen and zero this year. <laughs> that, that's but, the uh, realistic prediction. Mariota and Gurley at the helm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, I think uh, I think we'll surprise a lot of people this year and go twelve and four. Twelve and four. Twelve and four. Okay. Yep. Okay. Looking at the schedule, uh, I'll play the optimist here. That's quite good. I guess I'll have to go on the other side of that. Uh, I'm probably going to have to stick around 9-7. and seven. 8 and 8's not enough, but 9-7. and seven. I can see us getting to 10 wins, but the schedule's pretty favourable. Obviously, the NFC South not so good last year. I- I'd still like to see it before I'm really backing them in. I mean, 12-4, and four, I'm not ready to go that far yet. Uh, adding a couple of nice pieces in the draft, and maybe if we all buy into Dan Quinn's system. Uh, we'll see how we go, but 9-7 and seven for me at the moment. Apart from that, I think that'll pretty much do it for our first episode, unless you guys have anything else to add. 
Mm. Oh. No, I'm think, no, we're I think we, um, we went over just about everything there is. Yeah. I, and uh, I, I'd just like to say go Hawks in the NBA playoffs. Yes. And yes, agreed. please don't blow agreed. it. And go Clippers as well for me personally, but please go Hawks. Nobody wants to see the Nets go anywhere at all. Just don't pull in Atlanta. You know, win the series and, and move on to the next one. Uh, I, I can't remember who tweeted it yesterday, but, I mean, Darren Williams having the sort of game that he had, there was just something so... Beautifully Atlanta about that. Him heaving up three threes, <laughs> and you just knew they were going in. It was just tough yeah. to watch. Yeah. yeah I, there, I there, there was one where he was trapped in the corner, and he just, like, turned around and threw it up, and I, I, just, I just knew at that point that it was, it was a, a lost cause. It was flashbacks. It was Harry Douglas tripping in the 49 <laughs> uh, Please stop. Uh. Please stop. A local radio personality, uh, Mike Bell, on 92.9 The Game here. Says uh, Atlanta must have been built on an Indian burial ground, and that's why our sports <laughs> teams are always cursed. Yep, it's fun it to be a Atlanta fan. Always, it's always a journey. And I think that'll do us for our first episode of Potting Dirty. Thank you very much for listening, and for Adnan, Kevin, and Tyler, I'm Harrison. Be sure to check out bloggingdirty.com. Find us on Twitter at bloggingdirty, and please give us some feedback. Tell us what you'd like to hear more of, contact the podcast online and send in your questions and we'll attempt to get to those next time. Enjoy the draft, rise up and we'll see you next time.